Let's give ear to the reading of the Word of God uh, this evening. Psalm 32, it says, A masculine of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Amen. Let's, let's pray and ask God's blessing uh, to his word to us this evening. Heavenly Father, uh, we, we know that your word tells us uh, twice over, even your son says these, these words too, that uh, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of our Heavenly Father. And so tonight, as those who, who live by your words, first and foremost, and above all things, we ask that you would feed us from your word tonight, that you would give us understanding into your word by the work of your Holy Spirit. Teach us, give us grace to see Christ lifted up in the pages of your word, especially in Psalm 32. And give us grace to seek the forgiveness found there in Christ and to rejoice and shout for joy for that great forgiveness that we have only in him. For it's in Christ's name and for his glory that we pray. Amen. 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 Well, Psalm 32, as we just read, is a psalm about sin. It's a psalm about confession of sin. It's a psalm about forgiveness. Words kind of fail us to describe, they fail me to describe how wonderful forgiveness really is. How much of a blessing it really is. And how comforting this psalm in particular, because of the subject matter, has always been to the people of God. Psalm 32 has been one of my favorite psalms for a long time. And I think you can probably see why just from reading over it uh, one more time tonight. Um, It's been said, I don't know if you know who Augustine is, uh, it was said that Psalm 32 was Augustine's favorite psalm and that he had it written or inscribed on the wall next to his deathbed. Think about that. The thing he wanted to think about more than anything when he was on his deathbed, getting ready to go be with the Lord Jesus Christ, was how blessed it was to be forgiven of his sins. What what does anyone need to know and be assured of in this life more than that, especially when at death's door? 
Sinners is what we are. Sinners like us need forgiveness more than we need anything else. We need forgiveness more than we need our next meal. There's nothing we need more, if you think about it, than forgiveness for our sins. One writer said, this is that with which we, this is that which we all need and are undone without. Undone without. Well, the first thing I want to look at in our, in our psalm here, Psalm 32, is the blessing, the blessing of forgiveness that David writes of in verses 1 to 2. He says twice the word blessed. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, again, twice he says the word blessed, and twice in different words. What kind of person does David tell us is truly the blessed person? The forgiven person. The forgiven person, the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. You know, the really blessed person is not the person with the biggest bank account. That bank account can be taken away. The the, the really blessed person isn't the person with the easiest life. Sometimes we think that. We think the person that has an easy life or has all the nice things, doesn't have the problems that we have, uh, that they're blessed by the world's standards. That's not what David says. Who was David? David was the king. David had power. David had position. David had possessions. David had fame. He had everything. But what does David say? David doesn't say, blessed is the one who's the king. He doesn't say, blessed is the one who has possessions or has whatever. David says, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. If that's true of David, how much more true is that of us? And why is that? Our sin is a much bigger problem than we think it is very often. Sometimes we have a very small view of our sins, don't we? And why is that? We have a small view of God. A small view of God at times leads to a small view of sin, and a small view of sin leads to a small view, a light view, of the blessing of forgiveness. The more you understand your sin, the more you really understand how much of a blessing you really have in Jesus Christ in the forgiveness of your sin. Notice in the text there in verses 1 and 2, how many different words does David use to describe sin? How many different words does he use to to, to express that idea? The first one he speaks of in verse 1 is transgression. Transgression. That has the idea of rebellion. Of rebellion against God. And so one of the things, you know, it's almost as if one word doesn't do it justice. There is no one word, it seems like from our psalm here, that encapsulates everything there is about sin. But one thing that sin is, it's rebellion against God. It's, re- it's an act of defiance or rebellion against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The second thing he uses, the second word is sin in verse 1. Sin, the word sin has the idea of missing the mark or falling short of the standard. We've all failed to keep God's commandments, to keep God's Law. We have not lived up to what God requires of us. You might have memorized Romans 3.23. It says, what does it say? For all have sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory 
of God. That's us. We've all fallen, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What's the third term that David uses in Psalm 32 verses 1 to 2? It's iniquity. Iniquity. It's not a word you really use very much these days. You don't hear people talking about iniquity, although that word still has uh, a lot to, to teach us. What, is it, what does that point to? It's not so much rebellion. It's not so much falling short. It points out the vileness or the crookedness of our sins and that that sin is a part of our nature outside of Christ. It's a part of our nature. In other words, sin isn't just something that we do. Sin is something that we are. It goes all the way down to the very deepest part of us as human beings outside of Christ. Ephesians 2.3, there Paul tells us that outside of Christ in your old life, we were all what? By nature, children of wrath. By nature, children of wrath. Another way of putting that would be to say that outside of Christ, outside of Christ, every single thing about us utterly reeks of sin. It's not skin deep. It's not on the surface. It goes all the way down to the bone and even further. That's what sin is. That's what iniquity is. Well, what about the nature of forgiveness? The nature of forgiveness. In verses 1 and 2, again, also, uh, David points us not just to the nature of our sin, but the nature of our forgiveness. Remember, he used three different words to describe sin, three different words for sin. He also uses three different words to describe forgiveness. Three different words to describe forgiveness. The first one in verse 1 is forgiven. The idea of forgiveness. The Hebrew word here has the idea of carrying something off or lifting something away. When God forgives a sinner, what does he do? He takes a crushing load off of your back. He takes a load that you cannot bear and removes that weight from your back. Amen. Amen. What's the second word? It's also in verse 1. He speaks of our sin being covered. Or sins being covered. This has the idea of concealing something or hiding it from view. He's talking about atonement. You might know, you ever heard of Yom Kippur? If you had any Jewish friends or if you grew up in a Jewish home, Yom Kippur is the day of atonement or the day of what? Covering. The word almost even sounds like cover, kapur. It's, 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 the, it's the idea of atonement. And it's what Hebrews 9.22 talks about when it says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ if you're in him. You could say that in a sense, if you've ever read through the whole Bible in a year, you ever try that or ever do that a few times, and you get to the book of Leviticus, and it's like you hit a brick wall. (laughs) Anybody ever been there? I've done that. I've done that. So don't feel embarrassed. I should be embarrassed. But uh, yeah, if you you ever do that, if you ever read through the Bible in a year, and I hope that you do that, if you get to Leviticus, here's the key to Leviticus, Hebrews 9.22. The message of Leviticus, if you want to boil it all the way down to give you something to hang your head on, it's this, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. That's the message of Leviticus. And so who does Leviticus point to? Jesus Christ. Jesus is in the Old Testament, amen? And he's most certainly in the book of Leviticus. Well, the third and last word or phrase that, that David uses here to describe forgiveness is the idea of 
counting. Of counting. What does he say? He says, blessed is the man and, or woman uh, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. It's an accounting or, or a legal term. It's, sometimes you'll have, it's translated as reckoning or accounting to. And it's the idea of imputation. Now, don't be afraid of theological words like that that pastors throw around. Uh, imputation just means it, it points to the idea of a substitute being made. That Jesus... Our sins are put on Jesus on the cross. And, our, and, and his righteousness is put to whom? You, if you're a believer in Christ. You have to stand before a holy God. You can't do that in your own righteousness. You don't have any. What does Jesus do? He takes your sin, pays the price, the wrath of God for your sin on the cross, and his perfect, spotless righteousness is put to your account Isaiah 53, 6, it says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one, every one, to his own way. But what did the Lord do? And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He even uses the same word. He took your iniquity and mine, if you're a believer in Christ tonight, and put it on Christ and poured his wrath out on Christ in your place. So if you're in Christ, God imputed your iniquity to Christ. That's how he can forgive your sin in the first place. And you can see that even more clearly. The Apostle Paul, in the book of Romans, you might know that Romans is where Paul teaches a lot about justification by faith. Well, listen to Romans chapter 4, or look it up in your own Bible there in front of you. Romans 4 Verses 5 to 8. And listen for what passage he quotes from, from the Old Testament. He says, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted, there's that word again, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, and listen what he quotes. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. When David wants to talk about justification and forgiveness, what does he quote? Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. The gospel is all through the Bible, it's not just a New Testament thing. The gospel is found all throughout the Old Testament. It's found all through the book of Psalms. Sometime if you read through your your book of Romans in your Bible, if you have the time, count how many times you see him quoting from the Psalms. He does it over and over and over again. The gospel is in the Psalms because Jesus is in the Psalms. Well, the next thing that David testifies about is something that, it sounds very unpleasant. It sounds very unpleasant. In verses 3 to 4, David writes, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. What's David saying there? For a time, you know David's sins. David is, makes no bones about those sins. Sins like adultery with Bathsheba, having her husband murdered to cover it up. David was a real sinner. 
David, David has done things that you have not done. And David knew the blessing of forgiveness just the same. But for a time when he was in that sin, David's heart was hardened, wasn't it? He didn't want to confess his sin. He didn't want to deal with his sin. God mercifully did a lot of things to turn him back to himself. For a time, David kept silent. He refused to confess, as he tells us here himself in this psalm, he refused to confess his sin to God. And what was the result? What happens when you don't confess your sin? If you're a believer in Christ, if you're a believer in Christ and you kind of sit on it and you don't confess your sin and you don't want to deal with it, what happens? The same thing David describes in Psalm 32. David describes it as a rottenness in his very bones. He felt it all the way down to the bone. His bones wasted away. His bones wasted away through his groaning all the day long. And what was the cause of that decay that he felt down in his bones? What caused David to groan all day? It's because day and night the Lord's hand, he says in verse 4, was what? The Lord's hand was heavy upon David. The Lord's hand was heavy upon David. It caused his vitality to dry up as if it were in a time of drought. In a time of drought. Have you ever felt like that? Amen. Amen. If, if you're a believer, God doesn't let you play around in sin. And it's a mercy that he doesn't. It's a mercy that he doesn't. Have you ever felt the hand of God heavy upon you when you were living in unrepentant sin and unconfessed sin? Well, in a, in a strange sense, I say thank God for that. Amen. Because he doesn't let you go on and on and on in that sin. It's a hard mercy of God when God's hand is heavy upon you, but it's a mercy just the same. What is it? It's his fatherly displeasure and discipline on us when we go astray, when we go on in sin. Discipline is not pleasant. We all know discipline is unpleasant. But it's still for our good, isn't it? If you can go on and on and on in sin and never feel the hand of God being heavy upon you, you're probably not worried, but you should be. If you're going on in sin and you're not confessing and you feel the hand of God heavy upon you, well, confess your sin and turn back to your Heavenly Father, but thank God for it. Amen. Thank God that God cares for you enough to not let you go on and on in a life in a way that hurts you, in a way that's ungodly. It's for our good. It's to drive us back to repentance. It's to drive us back to confession. Because then what happens? You experience forgiveness. And you're blessed. Well, what's the way of forgiveness? The way of forgiveness is confessing, confessing our sins. In verse 5, David says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Did you notice something? Did you hear something that rang a bell from verses 1 and 2 there? He uses the exact same words. The same words he used in verses 1 and 2 to describe sin, he uses them again in verse 5 to tell us that God forgave all of it. God, he acknowledged his sin. He didn't cover his iniquity. He said he would confess his transgression to the Lord, and what did God do? Forgave the iniquity of his sin. He didn't try to cover it up. That's what we do. We, we, 
We use fig leaves and those fig leaves don't work. He confessed his transgression to the Lord. And what, you know, sometimes we don't confess our sins to God because we somehow we, we've convinced ourselves or Satan has convinced you that God's not going to forgive you this time. You ever feel like that? Oh, there's no way. I, I've finally gone too, too far. Notice how the psalmist paints the picture here. How David's, how instant was God's forgiveness? The way the psalm paints it. Is there a delay? No. Is there a waiting period? No. Is there a cooling off period? Does God send him to the corner? No, God, God's hand was heavy upon him because God wanted to forgive him. He wanted him to confess his sins. There was no waiting period. There was no raking him over the coals. Not after he confessed his sin. Matthew Henry writes this, God is more ready to pardon sin upon our repentance than we are to repent in order to the obtaining of pardon. You catch that? God is far more ready to forgive your sin when you repent than you are to repent and to confess your sins. That's how we are. But that's how God is. He's far more ready to forgive than we are to confess. Confession of sin, request for forgiveness. It's really the one prayer in Scripture, I believe, that God answers immediately. Think about that. Think about the kinds of things that you pray for, I hope, on a daily basis. Think about the loved ones that you've prayed for for maybe years. Maybe your children or grandchildren. Maybe your brother or sister or parents. Someone you know. You have prayed for some things for years and years and years. And God keeps telling you to wait and keep praying. Maybe you've prayed and prayed and prayed for deliverance from a particular sin. And God says, keep waiting, keep praying. It's not instantaneous. He delivers from the power of sin when you come to Christ. But sometimes those battles are long and hard, aren't they? But there's one sin, or one prayer rather, excuse me, that God answers immediately. There's no delay, there's no wait. And that's the prayer of confession of sins. So you and I must remember 1 John 1.9. It says, if we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Keep those two things together. Not just forgiveness, as important as that is. He's not just going to forgive you. He's also faithful and just to cleanse you from that unrighteousness. To free you from that sin. To help you in the future more and more to die to that sin. Notice what John says there, if we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us. What does that mean? He can be counted upon. He can be trusted that, yes, he's going to forgive you that time too when you confess. You can know and you should be assured by the authority of God's word that he will forgive you the iniquity of your sins. He won't hide them behind his back and hold one back just to hold it over your head. John says if we confess our sins, he's also just to forgive us our sins. All of our sins. sins. Just to forgive us our sins. How can God, how can a holy God, whose judgments are right and true, forgive wickedness? How can God do that and be just 
or righteous when he does that. Does God sweep sin under the rug, so to speak? Does anybody actually do that? But we, we use that phrase. Does, does God sweep the sin under the rug and not deal with it? No. He cannot do that. He is holy. We would do that because we're not holy, but God is. Does God say, well, boys will be boys. Say la vie. You know, what happens, happens. It was, you know, whatever. No. That's not how God forgives. He's actually just to forgive us for our sins. How can that be? Can God act contrary to his holiness? In forgiving you for your sins and forgiving me for my sins, is a holy God acting contrary to his holiness? Amen, right? That's right. Without the shedding of blood, there is what? No forgiveness of sins. God cannot and does not act contrary to his nature. He does not act contrary to his holiness at all in forgiving you for your sins. That would be blasphemy. That would not be the gospel. No, John says that he's just in forgiving our sins. It's right that he forgives you your sins if you're a believer. And why is that? Because it's actually fitting with his justice. Only because of the cross of Christ is that possible. He has exacted his just wrath on your sins, just not on you. He's poured his wrath out on Christ in your place. In the cross of Calvary, God's justice has been perfectly satisfied. That's why you can be forgiven and God can be counted upon and just to forgive. You can know that God will forgive your sins. You can trust him to cleanse you from that unrighteousness. Well, what David, David is giving us a biography here a little bit, right, of his sin, his confession, and God's forgiveness. What was David's response? King David, great sinner, great, greatly forgiven, a blessed man, verses 1 and 2. What, what was his response to that forgiveness? He wrote the psalm, but what does he say in the psalm? Look at verses 6 through 9. David wanted to tell us about it. He wanted to tell other people that there's forgiveness with God. There's forgiveness with God. He says, therefore, let everyone... He doesn't say, you know, I'm the king, I've got privileges. Sorry, guys, I'm the king. You know, maybe if you stick around long enough. No, he says, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you, to God, at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And then he adds, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. David, here sometimes we read that psalm, I think, that, those verses, and we think, David's here, and I'm down here, and David is saying, let me show you how this is done. That's not what he's saying at all. David's saying, I'm a great sinner who's been greatly forgiven, and you can be forgiven too. Learn from me. Learn from me, a sinner who's been forgiven. That's what he's saying in verses 6 through 9. He says, let everyone who is godly pray to the Lord while he may be found. So don't wait. Call upon the Lord while he may be found. 
and he will forgive even you of your sin and iniquity. David says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Again, he's not, he's not being boastful. He's not being arrogant. We, we sometimes act like that. What's he really saying? David's saying to you tonight, been there, done that. I've been where you are. I might have been worse than you are. And look what God did with me when I confessed my sins. And those are God's words to us tonight through the prophet and the king, David, that he will instruct, teach, and counsel us, and those in turn should be our words to one another as well. David's modeling for us what we should be saying to one another on a daily basis. Been there, done that, been forgiven, been blessed, here's how you can be too. Don't, don't do what I did except for the confessing part. Right? Amen. Amen. So let us not be stubborn like mules or even like David himself once was. Let us turn to God in confession and repentance and find his forgiveness and cleansing from sin. And then in verses 10 and 11, towards the end there of the psalm, David sums the whole thing up. If you want a summary of Psalm 32, it's found in verses 10 and 11. He says, many, many are are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Now, verse 10, Charles Spurgeon writes of that verse, he says, Faith here is placed as the opposite of wickedness, since it is the source of virtue. When I I read verse 10, did it sound strange to your ears? It's not what you expected him to say at all, isn't it? He says, Many are the sorrows of the wicked... What we think he's about to say is, but steadfast love surrounds the one who is righteous. Wickedness? Righteousness. But what does he say? Steadfast love surrounds the one who does what? Trust in the Lord. What's the spring of all the holiness and godliness that you will ever have in this life? Faith in Christ. God doesn't wait for us to clean ourselves up to forgive us. You come to him... He forgives and He cleans you up. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To the wicked, to the wicked, their sorrows or pains are multiplied. He says there are many. Another way of translating that would be their, their, their sorrows are great. Isaiah 48:22 it says, There is no peace or rest. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. For the wicked, no peace, no rest. Peace and rest are only found one place. Jesus Christ. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, it says, Come to me, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. It's that same imagery, the, the burden being lifted off. And I will give you rest, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So trust in Jesus Christ and the steadfast love of the Lord surrounds you. If you want to know the peace, steadfast love, and the blessing of forgiveness, they are only found in Jesus Christ by faith in Him. If you know that forgiveness, you will want to do what David did and tell other people about that forgiveness And you too, as verse 11 says, will be glad in the Lord and rejoice and shout for joy.
Amen. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a forgiving God, that you are a God of amazing grace and mercy, that uh, we deserve nothing but, but condemnation and wrath and hell in the life to come. We deserve nothing but misery in this life, and yet you sent your Son, the one who is well-pleasing in your sight, your beloved Son, and you put our sins upon him on the cross that we might be forgiven and have that crushing load of sin and guilt and wickedness lifted off of our backs. We ask that you would give us grace to confess our sins to you, to not be afraid to confess our sins to you, to, to not try to cover them up with the fig leaves of our own righteousness or good deeds. Give us grace to confess our sins to you that we might know the joy and the great blessing of having our sins forgiven. Work in our hearts. Make us more and more like Christ. We ask that if anyone here this this evening does not know you and is still under the weight and burden of their own sin and iniquity, we pray that you might open their eyes to, to, to the gospel and drive them to faith in Christ, that they might know the blessing for the first time, for the rest of eternity, the blessing of having their sins forgiven by you, a holy and loving God. For it's in Christ's name and for his glory that we pray. Amen.